0: Welcome to Winning with data Druid Marketing Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by WAS.ai Market Research. I'm Julie, your host in this podcast. And in every single episode, we talk to industry leaders, marketers, and growth experts in Asia about how they use data to enhance the ROI in their marketing activities. We bring you real case studies while giving you background on how these leaders Build your career to where you are today. Joining today is Henrik Peterson. He has more twenty years of B two B marketing experience, working with B two B SaaS software companies to build distinctive brands and fuel revenue growth. Henry, welcome.
1: Thank you, Dewey. Thank you so much, and thank you for inviting me. It's uh, yeah, really exciting to be on your podcast today.
0: Henrik, I know that uh, recently you are now a fractional CMO. And and when I look at your LinkedIn and um, and have a conversations with you, you have so much, so much experience across different companies. Can you walk us through in the audience a, a, a short stories about, you know, your career and where you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, sure. Eh? I mean, let me see I can boil my 20 years down to uh, <laughs> a short story. But uh, basically, uh, um, I'm originally from Denmark, uh, so I grew up in, in Denmark. Um, but I came to Singapore in 1999. Um, a bit of a coincidence, but basically I started out my career, actually not in marketing, but in a small, family-old uh, manufacturing company um, where I was looking after our supply chain planning, manufacturing planning. Um, um, I would say I quickly discovered uh, a, an interest for software when we implemented a, a new business that was called an ERP software. Um and that quickly took me to a a new job in in the software industry. Uh so first off an ERP consultant, but then joining the, the software company itself in a company called Ambition Software. Um and in, in in product marketing. Um and that also then later in ninety nine took me uh, gave me the opportunity to moved to Singapore. Uh, and yeah, that's where I've, I've been since uh, since 99 So since then I've spent, like you said, pretty much 20 plus years in, I would say, technology marketing, helping um, primarily technology companies, software companies, other technology companies uh, build their business in the Asia Pacific. And that includes companies like Microsoft, Senddesk, uh, uh, and a couple of startups here in Singapore and also uh, starting my own companies uh, uh, getting my experience as a you know as a startup so I feel like I've you know been both in very big companies and also small startups
0: and is there a common point as you are in I can see that we are very focused in B2B uh, marketing and in software right is there like a common question or common theme and pattern that you see across like the marketing challenges across all these companies
1: yeah, I mean, I think it's, and it's probably also what we're going to be talking about today, right? It's, it's growth. Uh, how do B2B companies, so yeah, I'm, I'm primarily in B2B, yeah, how do they how do we grow the business? Um, mm-hmm. And although I, I think in terms of just pure marketing, I think it's marketing is not that different, whether it's B2C or B2B, but then when you look at the core business, there are definitely differences in, in the way we, we do business. Um, I think actually in B2B, there's a lot we can learn from. B2C, where I think they do a lot better when it comes to market research and, and brand diagnosis, which is what we also be talking about today. Um, But I think the, the fundamental, every time I meet a, a business owner, I work with a new startup, the question is always the same how do we grow our business? How do we become a big brand? And how can we expand our business? And how can marketing help us do that? And
0: whenever uh, and, and I myself always ask this question with my team as well so uh, so as the as the CMO how do you usually approach this
1: yes yeah, so I think the when I join uh, in any company I think the first step of course is is actually to do diagnosis uh, and is to understand uh, what we also be talking about today here is what is the winning strategy of that company um, right so um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, involved in that but it's it's really understanding the what we call the profit formula. How does this make does this company make make their revenue or how do they grow? Um, I think very often we are too focused on products. Uh, right? We look at our product and think we have the best product, but actually there's a lot more things in terms of how we how we we you know how we use our resources, how we create processes, and and how we we leverage those capabilities in relation to our profit. I think it's how you optimize that the best that determines whether you are successful or not.
0: I I love it when you say the profit formula, and it's not just about the product; it's the product, the process, and a lot more things than that. Um, could you could you walk us through a little bit deeper about this, and maybe if you can throw in like a an example of a case study that would be very great for us to visualize how to build a profit formula? Yes, yeah, so a profit formula is uh, you can say and it it, it, it Profit
1: formula will change as the the company also grow. Um, right? So you could say when you start up... So when I joined, uh, for example, the company desk uh, which is a software company, a CRM uh, software company, we were initially very focused on uh, smaller, say mid-sized companies. And, and it was really focused on, uh, you say, a self-service or a product net mm-hmm. growth where it's about getting customers to come to a website, sign up, and basically get them started on their own. Um, so you can say the profit formula for that, you can start formulating. saying that means, you know, it, it's all about optimizing that self-service experience. Um, but also it means that, you know, you're basically making a choice here, right? So you're not focusing on, on big companies. Uh, you're focusing, focusing on smaller companies, which also typically means a lower uh, uh, you know, order size or customer lifetime value. And it also means then you you look at that profit formula. Then you need to start thinking about what, what does it mean from from a marketing perspective. Then maybe we cannot we cannot example use an enterprise sales model to support that because it's still too expensive in terms of the cost of acquiring the customer. Um, and so that's that's you can say one way of looking at it is that say the profit formula based on where we are the business today is is based on the type of customers we we target the market we play in. And also, uh, yeah, uh, basically back to the, the the strategy of the company, and then you will probably see that and we saw that also at Cindi that will evolve over time as we grow, as we started to upmarket, then we became a little more focused on winning really bigger deals. Uh, yeah, then you can start your your profit margin formula uh, starts to change. Uh, so now you can afford to uh, maybe adjust also your go to market model and your marketing. Strategies around that, so that it aligns both with resources and processes.
0: Mm. And when, say, a company sometimes when they are just starting out, right, it's often hard to choose whether or not it's top to bottom or bottoms up. Whether or not I should go with product led, uh, you know, a lower cat, a, a lower cost of acquisitions, uh, versus should I go with enterprise sales? Um, how how would you approach this? Uh, in terms of which strategy to go with or is there like a default mode that you should always try first
1: no I don't think there's necessarily a default mode and I think that's I think actually sometimes that's the risk when we you know as marketers or as business owners is we there's a tendency also to look outwards to look at other companies and and see what are they doing and trying to apply their model to our our business and it doesn't necessarily work right because we might have a very different different strategy we might have a different uh, profit formula that doesn't shit their model of doing this. is, um, I, I, but I think it's back to like the, the question again is what is the winning strategy? Uh, because it's really back to who are you targeting? Uh, and you know, what is it, what are, what are we going to do that's going to make it, uh, our solution a better offer for those customers in the, in the segment we have uh, chosen to target? Um, so I think that's why it's back to that strategic, uh, uh, those strategic decisions—that's really important for the success of the company. Um, so, so again, I think maybe also for the audience here is like, really go maybe go back, think about what is your winning strategy, and maybe just to uh, explain that. I think very often there's a tendency to kind of confuse planning with strategy, right? So the way um, the way I think to look at it is to say, planning typically is where you're planning. You um, you're working in your country, the, the things you control. So your resources, your people, right? We can make a plan about how many people we want to hire. We can plan what to do with our inventory. We can plan what to do with our processes. Uh, these are all things we control. Strategy on the other hand is about the market. These are about things we don't control, right? So, and um, your strategy very often is influenced by the market, the customers, the competition. Right. So, that's why it can be a bit, it can feel a bit, uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, nerve wracking to, to kind of make strategy because you are actually not in control of this. Um, so, um, first part of that is really understand it'd be important to understand the market you are playing in, right? because otherwise you can't really make good decisions around it. Um, so, I think very important to kind of differentiate, say, strategy is not planning. Uh, planning is about your resources, how you use that. Strategy is about looking out at the market and decide um, like I said, first, where do we want to play, right? So in marketing, we, we can talk about our, who's our target audience, um, right? The second step is how, you know, playing in that field, how are we going to provide or how are we going to offer a better solution than anybody else in that market? So if I have to bring that back to our, to marketing, specifically to marketing, right? So usually I'm going to say a marketing strategy really is it's really quite simple, it's just who is our target audience? Um, what, how, do we, how are we going to win? You go, we call that positioning, uh, right? And third is what is our objective? So if you go back to like, what is a winning strategy? So winning strategy, of course, is that when we say winning, it yeah, that means, I guess it kind of applies somebody is losing, <laughs> right? So although business is not always a zero-sum game, uh, right? Sometimes you can coexist with competitors, but if you want to take uh, increase your market penetration, win more customers, you're, you're basically stealing those or taking those away from somebody else. Uh, so that's the definition, of what I would say my definition of winning is that we are winning market uh, uh, winning customers from the market. Right? And our strategy is, is where are we going to do that and how are we going to do that?
0: So I'm going to turn the table and ask you. So in this case, uh, now that we know, you know not to confuse strategy and planning and Strategy is about be choosing, um, choosing and understanding where do we really want to play in terms of target audience, positionings, and what's our objective, right? So how do we know will we are the right strategy for us? For us?
1: Yes, I, I think the, the the first step is actually it, it's kind of get like terms with having a winning strategy. So I think very often, and if I look back at the, some of the companies I worked with, very often we actually don't have a winning strategy. Uh, we kind of just play to participate and, and what i mean by this it's it's uh, very often when you look at companies uh, and you you listen to what our goals are they're typically very internally focused right so a goal might be we want to double our revenue next year and although that might be like a very challenging or aggressive goal that not necessarily doesn't mean we are winning right we could double our revenue but competition might you know do more than that and still win more market share than Right, so for me, uh, having that winning mindset is is the first step in this one here. Is is really to be clear about we're not just trying to grow and look at things internally, but we are really trying to say how do we how do we grow our business in the context of what's happening in in, in this this space we're playing. Right, so winning mindset means looking out at competition and and seeing, like I said, is how do we yeah, how do we win, uh, but also how do we get better at serving customers in that space we choose. So I think that is having that winning mindset, I think is the first step where I find, at least in my experience, a lot of companies um, don't really have a winning uh, strategy. They just have a goal to to get better than last year. Right. So I think uh, I, if I look back at some of the companies, even big companies I've been with, it's always just, we did this last year, so we're going to do this next year, right? Where we don't actually looking at it in the context of competition. I think that's that's super important. And the reason why I think especially for small brands, um, we have to look at some of the, some of the marketing principles um, and one of them, um, which is called the law of double jeopardy. Uh, I know it sounds like maybe like a TV show, but it's actually, you know, an empirical research that shows um, that small brands has fewer customers than big brands. Uh, so that's the first, say, challenge we have. Right? And, and the challenge there is if you have more customers, you typically also have more resources. You have more, you have more resources to invest in advertising, marketing, and go to market, um, right? So that's that's already a challenge as a new business. So you're starting out because we have very few customers. If you're just starting out, of course, we don't have any customers, but right. So first of all, how do we get more customers? The, the double or the second jeopardy is that uh, small brands have slightly less loyal customers. Right, so in marketing, we often talk about brand loyalty and what we can do, but reality actually is, and that's what empirical research has shown, is that brand loyalty is primarily a function of the brand size. So the more customers you have, the more loyal they are. Right, and it's really back to the fact that as as consumers, but also as customers in B two B, we tend to buy brands we know more about, and we know more about brands we buy. Right, so um, so it's it's. So you say to overcome that as a new smaller brand, we really need to grow. But it it's looking at how we grow. It's it's uh, important here because it really comes down to increasing our uh, market penetration. And market penetration uh, different than market share. So market penetration means if there's a hundred customers out there, we can win. How do we get as many as those one hundred customers? Right. Whereas market share typically is made up of dollar value. Uh, so, when you look at, you normally when we talk about growth, um, we typically look at things like new customer acquisition. But we could also look at how to grow our existing customers. So, if I go back to, again, when I was at uh, Centesc, uh, right, we, we were focused very much on acquiring new customers. We also focus a lot on how do we keep expanding uh, the existing customers and get them to buy more products, more users. Right, So, you increase that uh, monthly subscription uh, from this customer. And um, we're also looking at maybe introducing completely new products, uh, right? You, so you can also grow through product development. Uh, you could also grow your business through, uh, what do you call that? vertical integration. Uh, you could grow through mergers and acquisition, which we also did. And that's why we would acquire other companies. Um, but going back to that, the double uh, jeopardy, right, as a small brand, it's super important for us. If we want to grow and become a big brand, we must have a constant focus on acquiring new customers. Doesn't mean we don't want to do existing customers, but it's, um, and in my experience, it's very easy sometimes as you grow to suddenly lose track of acquiring new customers and you'll see sometimes sales getting very busy on just keep expanding their existing customers. Uh, so we had that, actually that send us where we could see the, we kind of had a strategy of, of uh, what we call land and expand. That means when instead of trying to go out and uh, win a big customer and try and sell them everything in one go, we were just trying to get them on board and then we would grow the customer, right? So it's quickly landing them as a customer and then we'll expand over time. And what we saw a lot of these uh, startups that were joining us at that time were very, very small startups, but they were growing very fast, which means they're, you know, we could. Uh, Basically uh, in some cases you as a an AE or as a sales rep, uh, you could hit your quota by just basically working with your existing clients. Um but if you don't don't keep acquiring new customers at the same time, you're not basically not growing as a brand.
0: I can uh I can see how Lord Double Jeopardy uh sends some uh like smaller companies who are listening to the to the podcast is like Oh no! Uh, but then I'm very glad that you know you give us the solutions at the uh, afterwards. Can you talk a little bit about um, how do we design a, a successful land and expand strategy?
1: Yeah, I mean, so that's um, I think it's back to again your both your profit formula. say where are you focusing? Right? So are you focusing on just acquiring small businesses, or are you going after a bigger, a bigger accounts, for example, bigger brands? Um, but of course, a lot of it has to do with uh, getting alignment between, for example, marketing and sales in terms of who we are targeting. Uh, and second, also, a lot of it has to do with enablement, uh, or especially of the, the sales team, to make sure that we don't, because it, it can be tempting to kind of say, like, let me just sell them everything at one go, right? And then you might, instead of letting this account next week, you might spend three months trying to 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 get the whole deal. Um, but then the risk is that you know, sometimes you make the deal too big and, and the customer maybe decides too risky, right? Um so part of that I think the, the Lanner expand is that you make it very easy for the customer to kind of say, let me let me try this. Let me let me get going and it and also give them uh, some quick wins so they to kind of get hungry for let me let me do some more. So I think a lot of it has to do with enabling your your field so the field team so your marketing, your your sales team.
0: Gotcha. So on that note, I also wanted to come back to, you You mentioned uh, before we start the call, there are actually the three ideas around the questions around what is your winning strategy. So we have covered idea number one. I'm curious if you can walk us through your idea number two.
1: Yeah, so the, the second one is, uh, and that's why, as I mentioned earlier, I find very often in B2C, they, they tend to do this maybe a little bit better sometimes than in, in B2B, uh, but it's really... Be what we call market oriented, uh, uh, which is, uh, and again, it's as my marketing professor told me, uh, it's it's around understanding that you are not the customer, right? So, as we look at it, we say, I am not the customer. So, I think very often when we sit in marketing, we have a tendency to think that customers think like us, right? Uh, or we have a lot of biases about our own brand. Mm-hmm. We think our own brand is fantastic, and we we have our own idea about why customers actually buy our products um, right so I think being market oriented is that you you recognize that we don't really understand the market we don't understand the customer so we need to have a process uh, and we need use our resources and, and create some processes um, for understanding the market understand the customer mm-hmm. and also understand the competition um, so I think and I think also it was Peter Drucker who said that the, the customer rarely buys what the company thinks they are selling right and I think that's back to like do we really understand why people buy this this product and I remember like this was very early in my career I uh, was selling ERP software um, we would go to meet with prospects and then we would have a team out there demonstrating the software I And mean, we sometimes we would demonstrate the software for half a day sometimes a whole day right and it's at a when I think back at this now, it, it kind of tells me that we didn't really have a clue what the customer wanted or what they were trying to do. Um, so we would just show them everything, hoping that at some point somebody would say, that looks great, can you please show more there, right? Um, so I think market-oriented, market-oriented really means we we have a, a organizational-wide effort to, to keep gathering information about the customers, the market, and the competition. Right. So to do, to be market-oriented, I think it's a three-step process. So the first one is, of course, we need to gather information. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. So in, in, in the past, I've used to customer interviews. And I think that's especially for small for startups and small brands, right? We need to be mindful about the cost and the time of this. So the customer interviews, one-on-one meetings, are probably the easiest to get started with. And also it can be very cost-effective. Um, and it's actually uh can be super effective in terms of really understanding what is it that the why do customers buy these products or our services um but yeah so as a company you depending on your size if you're a small startup small business you can maybe start with just customer interviews if you have more budgets you can use panel surveys uh, sometimes to validate some of the findings you have found in your customer interviews um, Right. So, and if I look back at how I've used this in the past. So again, if I look at centers, we we were basically have an effort. Every time we had customer events, we would use that as an opportunity to speak with the customers, ask them questions, right? And here, I think uh, a good place to start when you are looking at it, if you have customers, uh, is to ask your most loyal customers and you're like, why do you love our products? Why do you keep buying our services? Um, what else did you look at when you, you know, you were considering our products? Why did you choose us? And then just keep going deeper and deeper into like, uh, to find out, um, basically uh, what's called the jobs theory, like what was the, what is the job that they are trying to get done, right? Um, and, but also understand the motivations and the triggers behind why they decided to, to look for a product or service to do this job. Uh, and also didn't understand what's the outcome they're trying to achieve by doing this so I think custom interviews is definitely and and I'll say relatively easy place to start I'll say there are still some things you need to be aware of when you do custom interviews we there's a tendency to introduce a lot of bias so you know when we meet people um the way we ask the questions can sometimes influence the way people answer the questions and also sometimes uh, you have to be mindful that people can Sometimes they will answer questions in a way they think you want to hear, uh, right? So uh, so these are things you need to be aware, of course, when you do custom interviews, but it's still a super effective way to get started. I think once, uh, and uh, typically I will say if you do 15, 20 interviews, you start seeing a pattern. You start seeing the same kind of feedback coming back and again and again. So you, you start to get a good view on, on like, what is it actually we are trying to do. What is the job to be done? Uh, what's the motivation behind that? Um, you can of course do more, but but I think 1520 usually you use, that's usually enough to get a good picture of this.
0: One of the common challenges I hear some of the companies that just don't do this is because um, they feel like uh, but I have immediate things that is sitting on my plate that perhaps give me a much more direct ROI and doing all this customer interviews that, that I'm not even sure if the insights will get me anywhere. Uh, I'm curious if you would hear challenges like this in your past and how, how would you approach this?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's, like I said, very often we, there is a tendency to think that we, we understand the market, we understand the customers, maybe even because when we initially maybe started the business, we were kind of in the customer situation, so, um. Tendency to think like, say, oh, I come from that industry. I know what they what they need. Um, but I, I think it's still it is risky, and especially later when you have to work on your winning strategy. Uh, you know, if, if you don't get don't get this right, you might go down the wrong path, right? Uh, so, but like I said, it, it doesn't have to be super complicated. You you can kind of build it into, like I said, when you have customer events and you're meeting the customers anyway. It's more or less kind of like just have questions ready, have a more, what do you call that? A, a more proactive effort around how do you gather this information, right? So I think number one is is how do you gather information or actually start gathering intel. The second part of, of being market-oriented is also make sure that you actually disseminate, you, you, you share the information, the intelligence you learn with the rest of the organization, right? If this is just something that the marketing team gathers and then they don't share it with anybody. Uh, yeah, then it's not really helpful for the, the, the organization, right? And we want this to be a company-wide uh, effort, um, right? So that in, that information needs to be shared, uh, captured in a way that can be shared with the rest of the organization. And then I think thirdly, also important part is like that you actually act on it, right? So if, if you just have all that intel sitting and you're not actually doing anything with it, yeah, then also not very helpful. Um, but I think it's super... Uh, um, and actually, there's there's studies. Uh, I'll I'll try if I can find a link we can maybe share it in 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 the recording. But there there's actually a study that shows that companies who are uh, market oriented are uh, actually have a, a better profitability and are more successful. Uh, so there are studies done on this. So um, it's not just a fun idea I've come up with. It there's actually research behind this. And I think also if you look at it, B two C companies actually tend to do this. Um, much better, I'll say, typically than B two B. So I think that's on the B two B side. This is something where we need to step up our game a little bit and really understand our market a, a little bit better. And I think that the key thing here is, like I said, is for me, is it, is understanding the jobs to be done, uh, or the job to be done. And I think um, I can, if I look back at some of the companies I've been with, where. The team in marketing, uh, sometimes we actually don't even know what it is we are selling. Uh, and even less, we don't really understand why do customers actually buy our products. Right. So I think, again, if I go back to Sendesk, one thing we did really well there was to make sure that any new employee who joins the company um, goes through an onboarding where everybody learns how to demonstrate the product. Uh, so you actually have to go up in front of your... You know anybody else who joined that the company that that month or that quarter, and and, and do a demonstration of the software, and I think that's super powerful because it make, kind of ensures that everybody who is in the company doesn't matter if you're in finance, in HR, and marketing, you can actually explain to people you meet what it is you're doing and how we add value to the customer, right? Um, but to do that, also again, it comes back to like as a company, you really need to understand you know, what is the job that the customer is trying to do. And how is our product, you know, uh, helping them do that? And I think once we have understood that also, it helps us in marketing create better, uh, better messaging, uh, right? We can explain instead of just listing 20 features, we can actually explain exactly what it is, how we add value to the customer. Uh, it also helps your, whether it's your inside sales team, your account executives, and also make sure that when they are talking to customers, they really focus on what we know the customer are trying to do so you get a much better response from, from
0: the from the customer is there like a case studies or uh, application in the past that you can help us to visualize um the successful case of uh, after doing customer interviews or or the likes of actually collecting such information and this many thing and actually applied it and see uh, ROI
1: um I'll, i I am going to talk about it also later but actually one project I worked on uh, was when we were uh, basically building out our senders business in Japan, um, right? So we, and I'll, like I said, I'll come back to it in, in the last part of, around diagnosis, but also it's, we really looked at saying like, how come the uh, website conversion rate was uh, a lot lower than what we saw in other markets, um, right? So there we began talking to, to both resellers or partners, but also talking to customers it helps us kind of uncover what was the what was the friction in that process um, right so basically it came back to that we the messaging on our website was uh, didn't resonate with with the target audience and they basically didn't understand what we are talking about um, so they would come to the website not really be clear about what we are trying to tell them and then basically leave again right so by doing research you you've you got a better understanding on what is it really they're trying to do and how do we showcase them that this is actually something we can help them with so we saw a, a dramatic improvement in in basically in people signing up for our free trials right which improved our conversion rate on website but also improved our google um, yeah. advertising uh, campaigns uh, that had a dramatic impact on, on inbound leads and the quality of those leads
0: awesome uh in in that in that sense uh i can't wait to actually let's jump into our the third idea that you would like to share with us today around um around building your winning strategy
1: yes i think um um it's what i call the diagnosis uh, right but it's also say we want to create a winning strategy we really need to understand the field that we're playing in, right so um and i think there's you can say there's kind of two parts of this so if you are a new marketing manager joining a company or a new brand manager joining a company, um, I think it's always a good idea to kind of sit down and really get a good understanding of the brand or the company you work for and before you go into actually building your plan. And, and also in my work as uh, uh, working with, uh, with with other companies in terms of marketing, uh, that's the first step, I think, in, in the, what I'll call a, a kind of a linear process, right, is to do diagnosis before we do strategy and we do our strategy before we, we come up with all our marketing tactics. Uh, I think what I see a lot today is there is a tendency to jump straight into marketing tactics and just decide that we need to have some TikTok videos and some Google advertising, but actually be before we really understand the strategic plan and have done real diagnosis. Um, so that's, that's the purpose of the first, the first step, is, is diagnosing the business. It's a little bit like sending your brand for a checkup at the doctor, um, right? So there's um, you know, there's a lot of things we can look at, of course, and it depends maybe also on the size of your business. So if you're a small startup, you can keep this it's a relatively simple process and As you grow a bit, probably become a more, more complicated. More, uh, I call that a comprehensive uh, process. Uh, but I think there's a couple of key things that maybe we can run through. That I think that's important to, to look at. Um, so I think the first step is um, is basically understanding your, call it your brand DNA. Uh what is your brand, right? And again, I know maybe if you're just a new startup, there isn't a lot of brand stories or heritage to work on, right? But in imagine you as a marketer, you're joining a company that's been around for a while. I think it's super important to understand, you know, the, the story behind the brand. Um, so very often here, it's a good idea to speak with the founder to understand like, why did they start the company? What was the values around the business? What were they really trying to do? Um, but if you don't have the founder around anymore, you can do maybe some, some Google search and you can talk to colleagues in the company, but really understand like what's what's behind the, the brand here. It doesn't mean you have to have a 20, 20 slides PowerPoint around all kind of brand purpose and brand DNA and all this, but it's just a simple understanding of who we are as a brand, our core values. Um, And I think more important also is to um, figure out what is the what we call the distinct brand codes or brand assets uh, that we need to use for the for the in branding. And what I mean by that is, um, distinct brand codes basically is as you say it's your visual cues. Your it can be a, your logo. It can be your colors. It can be a sound. It can be a smell. I guess uh, depending on your business, right? But but what is it that if, if you don't, for example, mention the brand name, what is it that visually might uh, tell people ah oh, that's the brand, right? So I think um, I think a good example that was uh, uh, talked about a, a little while back was uh, if you know the the chocolate the Toblerone chocolate that's in this yellow packaging has this triangle shape, right? That's a good example of of uh, the string brand asset. So when you see that in the shop or in, OA, in advertising, you, you kind of recognize that straight away when you see that shape and that yellow color, right? Um, So that's a good way of saying these are distinct brand assets that you you need to apply. I think it's similar for even if you're a new startup, it's important to kind of figure out like what is your brand, distinct brand assets that you need to apply. Uh, And then I think the other rule is you need to be consistently uh, codifying or using those um, on everything you do. And again, here I see there's a tendency to especially in marketing to be a little bit tired of using that yellow color. So let us today make it blue, right. But then that's actually the sort of the worst you can do because you might get tired of looking at a specific color or something, but the market, uh, you know, they don't look at your brand every day. So just because you are tired of it doesn't mean the market is tired of it. Right. And it takes a really long time to build a brand. So having consistency and keep applying those uh, distinct brand assets is super critical to building your brand. Um, so those are some of the things that uh, you could look at around your brand. The second part, I think, uh, comes back to the, what we talked about earlier about doing customer interviews, is to kind of figure out what the, what are the, the brand attributes or characteristics of your brand. Not that what we think about the brand, but the customer thinks about the brand, right? So here you should kind of try to figure out, like, um, what are some of the attributes if you ask customers, you know, it might be easy to implement or expensive or whatever it could be, right? So these should be both positive and also negative attributes. Um so they kind of start giving you a picture of who we are as a brand. Um so like I said when you interview customers, you start seeing, like I said, once you've done 15, 20 interviews, you start seeing that is this there's a few words that keep popping up. And those are your typically what will be you you kind of convert into your brand attributes that you can then use to pick out like who we are as a brand. Yeah. I think no, yeah, I think you're right. I think I was. I think there's. I think in the last uh, decade or something, there's been a tendency, especially in B two B, to be very focused on performance marketing. Uh, it's a very short term ROI focused, and it's been the same in, in most of the companies I've been with. this. they've tended to kind of look at saying, "How do we get the quickest ROI?" Right. So we keep optimizing around. i um, will say, the the last part of, of the funnel, or you know, what I call the bottom of the funnel. And, and not really spend a lot on uh, building, you know, uh, increasing brand awareness. Uh, I think that's changing. I think a lot of companies are starting to realize that actually it, it doesn't work. Uh, right. So you, you kind of need to have, both. um, right. I think it was recently, was it Airbnb that, that realized when they turned off all that performance marketing, actually things were still growing. Uh, right. And I think that's back to like, you actually, once you start building the, your brand uh, and you reach a bigger audience. It, the rest, I mean, as long as you have, what we call good physical availability, but then you know you, your brand will continue to grow. So I think there's a lot of power in building that brand. But I think historically, a lot of B two B companies haven't put a lot of effort into this. But I think that's no, but you're just to say like, but I think that's definitely a big part of your diagnosis is to understand both who you are as a brand and what your brand is. And like I so say, you don't have to overdo it. I think there's a tendency sometimes, especially if you bring in an agent brand and this agency to help you with this, that they they will produce a 20, 30, 40 page uh, uh, <laughs> guide around this. That's probably overdoing it, I think, especially for smaller brands. I think here is just understanding your core attributes and figuring out what your distinct brand assets are. And then just consistently apply that in all your advertising, your events, anywhere you go, right, you on your packaging and, and all that so that it's, uh, yeah, you, you start building your, slowly start building your brand. The, the second part of that is to, um, if you have the budget, is to do uh, some um, brand tracking to understand the, the where you are in terms of brand awareness, um, right, I know that's Brand tracking can cost quite a bit of money. Uh, I've done that before also, right? And I think today it's, there's new tools out there that actually makes it a lot easier and more cost-effective. I think it's has been quite expensive. Uh, I've, I've done brand uh, panel surveys where you do brand tracking. You basically ask a series of questions, uh, which is uh, bring you a really lot of insights around your brand and where you are. Uh, but like I said, it, it used to cost, cost a lot, but it's I think price is coming down, which is also another reason why it's it's easier probably to do today. Uh, so I think those are the first part of, of understanding your the business. Um, a few other things that are things good as if you're coming in as a business owner or a marketing manager, I think if you can, I know it, it can also be a challenge, but it's understanding your um, your market size. How big is the market you are going after? So trying to size up your the market. Uh, I know for some cases it, it can be tricky to understand, like. How many customers do we think that are out there and what's the value of those? But it it's uh, can be super helpful later on when you want to do what's called excess share voice analysis, because that requires you to understand the total market and how much of that is your market penetration and your market share. How much of that uh, do you have today? Um, so if, if possible, try and get an estimate on, on how to do market sizing. Um, then the other things I would jump into is um, so we, especially when you talk to startups, they always talk about product market fit, right? Which is, I don't know, I, I feel like uh, a few, probably people out there will know more about this, but like it can be really difficult to figure out like when do you have product market fit? Right? Usually if you have customers signing up and they stay with you as a customer, that's a good sign that you're offering some value, right? But I think if you go back to what we did at the, uh, the market orientation, which was to do customer interviews to understand what's the job to be done. I think it's super helpful also to kind of go back and say, so once we really understand what's what's the job they're trying to do, why do they hire our product to do this job? What's the motivation and what's the outcome they have? Try and link that back with the product and just, so like you say, instead of product market fit, it's market product fit. Uh, to say, like, do we actually have a really good fit here? Right? Does the product really do what the customers want to do? Uh, right? Does it, does it do the job that they are looking for? Um, but that again requires that you have a good understanding of what the customers, why the customers actually buy your product. And then I'll say another uh, thing, super helpful is is back to what we talked about earlier is that profit formula. Um, and also, com- you know, once you understand the product, uh, sort of the, the profit formula of your company, um, what is especially for marketing is important is to Look at how do we apply that to our marketing approach? Like I said, if you are offering, for example, a premium product, like we don't charge for the product, it's all about getting them to sign up for free. Maybe we make profit another way, but, or maybe we, we hope they will eventually convert into a paid product. It, it probably also means that you cannot afford to spend a lot on acquiring customers, right? So if you have a, or like when you had a sentence where you're offering a free trial um, to smaller businesses. Uh, right, having an enterprise sales model where you have expensive marketing activities like uh, roundtable events, make uh, uh, expensive ads, and you have a BDR I have to call them, and that model just doesn't apply to to your profit uh, profit formula. Right, so it's also good to kind of think through that to say, you know, on the other if we're targeting enterprise uh, customers and our average deal size is a million dollars, yeah, then of course we can afford to spend more. Right? But I think sometimes, uh, again, marketing, we have a tendency to jump straight into tactics and, and forget to analyze these things, right? And then the, the marketing tactics may not align with our profit formula. So thinking through that, I think also it's good exercise. Uh, that's relatively easy to do. And you can kind of on a scale kind of say like on one end, you have to have really maybe even we can't afford to spend anything on marketing. It's all about creating content, uh, uh, viral marketing activities. Uh, and then, as we grow up, we can start investing more in, in different channels, different types of of marketing.
0: Sounds good. That is like a lot of things for us to diagnose here, from brand tracking to market sizing to PMF to profit formula. Now, before uh, this is uh very interesting to to hear all the ideas you have around how to design a winning strategy. Before we wrap up, um. Henrik, is there anything that uh we haven't touched on that, that is on your mind around winning strategy?
1: No, I, I think just to kind of like summarize right. So I think it's like I said, it's the reason I brought up the these three ideas. I think it's, it's it's first of all a you say it's a company mindset of having whether you have a winning strategy or you just have a you know a strategy, right? So and because the winning mindset also, it's not just about winning; it's also about you're gonna like how do we win actually by serving the customers better and that kind of leads you into like that's really your mindset that also leads you into be market oriented because then you naturally kind of need to understand what do the customer think what are they trying to do so right it, it makes you much more focused on what the, the customer's doing rather than just uh, internally being focused on, on on our products um so i think so those things kind of go nicely together right and then i think the diagnosis is really Kind of putting it all together, it, it to figure out both um, where we are right now, like where, you know what the, the brand health where we at in terms of you can do things also like funnel analysis. Uh, of course, you look at your revenue performance and all this, but um, but also looking at how do you better align your profit formula with resources and processes in the company, right? So that when you are ready to make those uh, decisions around your strategy. It's based on a, a solid foundation uh, with good understanding of, of the market and also your competition. And then I think maybe the last point I'll just say is I think when it comes to strategy, we have to, this is something we have to kind of continually kind of monitoring because, like I said, we don't actually control the components of our strategy. The customers might change behavior, the competition might do something else, right? So you kind of have to keep monitoring this and then adjust your strategy as the market. Plays out. So um, so I'm all to, to keep looking at this.
0: Great. Thank you for the summary. Um, so we always have our lightning round of four questions uh, before we wrap up today's episode. So Henry, are you ready for that?
1: I'm ready, I think.
0: Ah, yes. Uh, question number one. What are the key data or metrics that you monitored in marketing or in this case, brand building?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, um, I mean, of course, we have a, a lot of metrics, but I think, uh, I think definitely, I'll say, um, I mean, in the end, of revenue I always comes back as one of the key things to look at, right? I think, uh, uh some revenue performance, uh, the help of the say, the what call the funnel. Um, so I think those are probably, um, Metrics to look at. Um, I think also your uh, brand reach. So, um, you know, and, and if you can say your, what do you call that, market penetration. Uh, right. So, I mean reaching, are we, are we increasing our brand reach and our market penetration? I think those would be the other key metrics.
0: Second question What advice would you give to someone who is interested in pursuing a career in marketing?
1: uh well first of all go ahead uh, it's a lot of fun uh, it's super interesting uh, but uh 2nd i they'll say is uh, get a good marketing education um i think there's like i said in marketing there's a you know the tendency to be uh, we like new shiny things i think in marketing right so whether that's new software tools new rating but we also have tend to keep renaming things and coming up the new ideas a lot of that i think and even sometimes when you read articles even from very famous consulting firms and and uh, famous uh, publishers it's actually not based on uh, empirical facts right so i think that's why I go back to actually have a good solid foundation that to give you an understanding of how marketing actually works uh, so evidence-based marketing um, so if you and you it's never too late to do this right so uh, so get a good marketing education um, doesn't have to be, a, you know, a full bachelor again, if you've already done that, but like just keep yourself up to date on, on what it's, uh, what are the, 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 evidence-based marketing principles that we operate because there are more and more research coming out around this. Uh, and I think it's, um, today, a lot of us operate with based on marketing myth and, and thinking that are just not based
0: on facts. Talking about education. Um, is the third question. What is the one marketing book that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, so I, I have it actually right next to me here. Uh, I don't know if you can see on camera there, yeah, but how brands grow. Um, right, there's a number of books uh, you can you can get from here. You don't have, have to get them as a real books. I like to get real books, but, um, but that's a super book. Again, like I said, it's from uh, Ehrenberg Bass Institute, uh, who's actually doing a lot of research around evidence based uh, marketing and I think that for me has been super helpful resource I, I keep going back to it uh I, I said all the principles also what I mentioned earlier around the double jeopardy uh, but, but there's a lot more in there you can you can learn from but also around distinctive brand codes there's a ton of research that I would recommend that people uh you know get, get, you know get familiar with and uh, there's also you can just go Google there's uh, a ton of things you can also I say recommend also searching for Roger Martin around strategy. He's a fantastic guy around actually around playing to win and defining what is a marketing strategy or strategy in general. Um but yeah, uh, how brands grow or um I think the second one is Better Brand Help. Uh is another great book. Um I think every marketer should should read. We... Okay.
0: Thank you for giving us even a bonus education here uh, on, on Book2Rig and resources to look at. Uh, last question. What's your favorite AI-powered tool or software? Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, good question. Yeah. So, I mean, the one I probably use the most is uh, Grammarly, um, but I kind of both like it and also sometimes I don't like it so much because I feel like it it's constantly, want I keep editing, I keep making changes. So it's like you never finish. Uh, but I find that super helpful, uh, it, just having it running in the background. Um, I have been playing around with a lot of AI tools lately to figure out what works. I will say a lot of interesting stuff out there. I think there's still a lot of a lot of work to be done. They're not always perfect. Um, so I think Grammarly is probably the one I kind of use everything when I write emails or yeah articles, whatever it is.
0: On that note, um, for our listeners who want to follow and connect with you, what's the best way to do so?
1: Uh, yeah, love to uh, connect with uh, listeners who have questions or anything. So feel free to go to LinkedIn, uh, and click other uh, follow. Or you're also welcome to connect. Um, happy to connect with with people. Yeah, um, yeah, love to get questions uh, or also uh, learning from other people. So uh, yeah, please connect on LinkedIn.
0: Amazing, uh, Henry. Thank you so much again for being here. Thank you so much for listening. If you find this valuable, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Also, please consider giving us a rating or leaving us a review because this really can help other listeners to find the podcast. You can find all the episodes or learn more about this podcast at wasp.ai. See you in the next episode. (sweak) foo <sweak>